I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi everyone and welcome to Pixels, a podcast for the discerning gamer. Hello everyone and welcome back to Pixels, a show where we cover the video game news and the industry news in general for PC games, console games, mobile games, all sorts of games. My name is Patrick Beja and uh, first of all, sorry for missing an episode uh, last, uh, well, last episode, it was a couple of weeks ago, but we're back and to help us navigate the news that happened in the past few weeks is none other than a Star Wars fan extraordinaire, Garrett Weintroll. How are you doing, sir? I love that that's how I'm being introduced this week. Is it is it just because Celebration just wrapped up or because I am that big of a Star Wars nerd? Well, you have a show about Star Wars and you go to like Star Wars convention and and yeah, yeah I think that qualifies. Yeah, uh, you know, to I feel like credit should be given where credit is due though. Uh, that celebration event happened basically in my backyard. I met many people who traveled a <laughs> long distance to visit it. So how far would you not would it have to be for you not to go to the celebration well it was in la recently and i didn't go so okay that's pretty damn far i don't think that even counts <laughs> but i go there for blizzcon patrick i go there uh, for BlizzCon. all right so what you're saying is you'd rather be defined as a blizzard nerd than as a star wars nerd well you know if we're going down that road which is is probably if you don't know me dull is all get out um but we're here <laughs> so let's finish the journey I would call myself a Star Wars nerd first and foremost, and a Blizzard nerd second, uh, so if I'm self-identifying. Why would you, since you, since you identify as a Star Wars nerd, why are you saying you wouldn't go to a Star Wars con in, in California, but you go to a Blizzard con in California? This, this is not consistent. It doesn't make sense. Although I guess love I, doesn't often doesn't make sense. So <laughs> love does not make sense, Patrick. That's true. Uh, I would say because I spend more of my day to day in Blizzard now, but mm. I would identify as a Star Wars nerd because it was my first love. And ah, it's I see, I see. Well, uh, you know what? You will still there is a little bit of Star Wars discussion to be had with the announcement of Battlefront Two. There is also a bunch of stuff happening in the Blizzard corner as i lovingly call that section of the show that we do when uh, when there's enough news about blizzard to be discussed and god knows there's a lot of news about blizzard this month uh, but first we're going to start with the announcement of the export or the unveiling i should say uh, of xbox scorpio and uh, the hardware was revealed to basically digital foundry i think and uh, eurogamer and it looks like it's pretty impressive. So for those who don't know, Xbox Scorpio was announced at last E3, which was almost a year ago. How t 
time flies. And uh, it is going to be an evolution of the Xbox One in the same way that the PlayStation 4 Pro is an evolution of the PlayStation 4, but a much more, I, I want to say, accomplished evolution in that it is significantly more powerful. Um, it is not only going to be able to run your Xbox games, your Xbox One games, and a lot of Xbox games, uh, you know, Xbox 360 via backwards compatibility in 4k with decent um, frame rate or excellent frame rate it's also going to be able to render much better graphics than the current version now of course that does beg the question of how is it going to work with backwards compatibility are all games going to be uh, playable on both versions of the machine microsoft said yes it's going to be in the case of first party publishers leaving kind of a door open for third party to do whatever they want and this is kind of a PC-ish business uh, model, or maybe not even business model, but technology model, and um, but in a much more controlled way, because this is one console, one version of the machine every three or four years, and it's possible that they're going to keep doing that. But there's still a lot of unanswered questions, which are the most interesting questions, I suppose. But the one thing we know is that on the power side, the the hardware seems to deliver. The six teraflops are there, and that's a lot of teraflops. But uh, I'm curious what you think of that um, of that Scorpio, Scorpio deal and of what we've seen of it so far. Well, I uh, I mean, the, the big unanswered question for me is, uh, are they going to have a trade-in program like they did when the Xbox One came out? Because, yeah, uh, they'll happily like... take your Xbox One for 15 bucks. I'm sure that will happen. <laughs> well, that's actually, when, when the One came out, there was a trade-in program for the 360. Even if you had a first-gen 360, which I believe netted me $150 towards an Xbox One. That's not bad. Uh, yeah, I thought it was Im- Im- very impressive. Considering if I, you know, brought it down to my local GameStop, it was not so not so hot. Although even GameStop ran a a, a good promotion for a little while, but Microsoft's lasted longer. Um, but I, I mean, yeah, it, these are really impressive specs. I'm I'm an Xbox uh, fan, definitely. I, I I always get an Xbox because I always have to play the new Halo uh, and the new Forza. All that being said. I'm actually really enjoying Xbox anywhere, and if their exclusives keep coming to that, I don't need an Xbox. I have a PC. Huh. That is one of the big, not questions, but one of the big points that everyone keeps making, and that's kind of, uh, you know, a, a, a genuine, a legitimate one, because... But but I think it, it's legitimate for people who do play on PCs and a lot of people who play on consoles don't. So that's kind of, I, I don't know. I'm sort of torn between those two opinions and I don't think I can settle down on one. Either, you know, whether it's a good thing to have uh, games on PC as well or whether it kills their, ex- or hurts, not kills, but hurts their Xbox business. And I can't decide. I'm not sure. I, I, I can't either. And, I, and like I hesitate to even bring it up because I, I love it so darn much. And I'll be the first one to admit that, you know, the, the Microsoft Store as it exists on Windows 10, which you have to navigate to take advantage of Xbox Anywhere, is definitely less than the best experience out there. But, um, the, man, man, the fact that I can just fire up Forza, you know, Horizon 2 and uh, and just pick up where I left off on my console and then play some and then go fire it up on my console and pick up where I left off on my PC 
I love it. I love it so much. It's uh, I will put up with their stupid store. It's 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 fine. Um, <laughs> but but I mean, yeah. At the end of the day, it's consoles are, are, are consoles are weird, man. Like I don't, I I, I not that I listen to an, a ton of podcasts anymore, but I don't know where to go and find uh, the console advice that I would have looked for when I was a kid, which was when I only had one console and I had to make that decision because you and I and uh, the video game podcast I do listen to. Most of us have every console and a gaming PC. Yeah, that's true. I think, it, it, but in in our cases, it doesn't really. So it doesn't really matter all that much. Although, for example, I didn't get a PS4 Pro because I thought it wasn't worth it, even for someone like me who does this for a job. I'm not certain I will go for it for the Xbox One um, Scorpio because I was kind of burned by the Xbox One uh, Vanilla, and I was like, you know, I got it, and I thought. Because I already had a PS4 and I thought I'm going to play it for the exclusives, but then they came to PC as well and I didn't really care that much anyway and there weren't many anyway, so definitely the games are going to be what matters. But I guess that question is uh, makes sense as well. How much will you need to get for your Xbox One in order to buy a, let's say it's, it price is probably going to be around 500. I don't think they're going to manage to bring it down to 400 bucks for the Xbox One Scorpio. So given what we know it will do and not knowing, you know, the exclusive it will, it will have if, if it does have uh, any, hopefully it will, and E3 will be an explosion of, uh, fantastic software. Um, so given what we know now, how much would you need to get for your Xbox One in order to shell out 500 bucks for a Scorpio? Well, my, my first thought is the, the price point of 500 which if they hit that, I think they've just failed out the gate because the PS4 Pro is 400 And yes, this is more powerful, but if you made it more powerful and you had to tack on an extra $100, uh, I think you're already hamstringing yourself at the start of the race. Um, so... I, I'm, I'm hoping it comes in at 400 and if it comes in at 400 I think if I got 150 for my Xbox One, it might it might push me over the edge. Um, one of the big things I'm kind of waiting to hear is about their their darn, darn VR headset, which has, you know, was announced what seems like forever ago. We've heard nothing about. Um, well, they didn't I'm, really really announce VR headsets. They said they were going to make them for Windows 10, and supposedly it can you know work easily on on it can be easy to adapt the technology to to an Xbox because it's the same OS. But they haven't said they were going to do it. So yeah. you might be. Uh, well, I've been I'm I'm mistaken then if that is the case. I could have mm-hmm. sworn that they that they had announced headsets. But whatever oh, the case well, is, they I, have I the don't... they have the uh, sorry to interrupt again, but they have the Hololens, which is their AR thing. You know, it's not like holographic thing. It's not exactly VR. Maybe that's what you're thinking about. Uh, I'm not definitely not thinking about the Hololens. I think I might okay. have just mistaken that the previous comment that you had you had mentioned that that's okay. very possible. But right. uh, I don't have a VR headset. That is that is the one thing where I'm just like ah, that's expensive, and I'm not sure how much I'll actually use it. Um, but uh, as always, it comes down to hey, if I can use it in Forza, it might force my hand. <laughs> so. Well, they did demo uh, a pretty impressive version of Forza in 4K, 60 frames per second. Uh, you know, it, it was a, a, it's probably going to be coming out with the console. Uh, do you have a 4K TV? I do not. I'm still riding out my old 1080p until it explodes. Okay, so you're not even in that category of people that need to feed their, you know, millions and billions of pixels uh, on the TV. So... Yeah, I'm not sure how much of an of an interesting 
advantage that Scorpio will be for you or me or many people. Um, but that being said, my assessment is that the first brick, the first step of that rehabilitation of the Xbox One, and I'm using that term because I consider uh, the Xbox One to be the runner-up to the Xbox One PS4 console war, with the PS4 having a serious lead on it, uh, numbers of consoles sold-wise. Uh, that's, I think, the consensus from everyone in the industry. And uh, that's the first, a good first step for getting back into the head of the race. But we do need the second step, which is the software, the games. And they need to have a spectacular E3 to make that hardware sing. And that it's all going to ride on that. They, they now have the instrument, but they need to be playing it really well. And uh, we'll see. I'm not, you know, if they announce like a new Halo, a new Gears of War, I think what the last few months and couple of years have proven is that those aren't enough. They're nice to have and, and fans are going to be psyched and they're going to rush to them. You know, and a new Forza, basically the classics. I think they <laughs> need to make us uh, dream a little bit about something a, a bit different. Even if it becomes, you know, it's a, it's a disappointment in the end, but we need more than just the classics, right? I, I completely agree. It's, it's enough for me at the end of the day, although I don't think it'll be enough for me to go buy a new Xbox. I think it'll be, it'll be enough for me to keep buying their games and playing it on my current Xbox. But uh, no, I, I agree. They need, they, need a, they need a new property, a new hit. They need something along the lines of uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, like the you know, Sony recently tapped into. And I haven't even played it yet, but everyone I've talked to that has played it has uh, kind of yelled at me in a way that reminds me of a rabid dog. <laughs> uh, that uh that i need to play it right now so yeah i think that's you know there, there's a lot of things that uh worked out well for sony in this generation uh one of them being indeed some new uh it, it was basically some classics some new stuff and some imports when i say imports i i'm talking about things like persona 5 we're going to be talking in a little bit but you know um there were the last guardian and like some things that even if they didn't turn the world on fire um they did grab the headlights and made people again that that uh feeling of hope and dreaming that when you shell out those hundreds of bucks you're gonna get lots of stuff not just you know if sony had come out with just uncharted 4 and I don't know, some other sequel to another classic that is basically the same game, but prettier. Um, I don't think it would have been, uh, people would have been as enthusiastic. But um, well, we'll see. Microsoft has basically gone dark for the past year. And I want to believe that they are, they have done that because they're working on things that will blow our minds when E3 comes around. And it's coming around soon. So it is. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. A lot of, a lot of questions up in the air. Yeah. All right. Uh, oh, by the way, Microsoft is apparently testing uh, refunds in the same way that Steam is uh, for the Xbox games. Basically, if you buy the game and you don't play it more than a couple of hours, you can refund it entirely with no questions asked uh, after uh, until two weeks after the purchase. So that's kind of cool. And hopefully everyone else will start doing that as well. Please. Looking at you, Thank Sony. You. <laughs> uh, Persona 5. So there are... 
two elements to this conversation. I think the first one is the game itself, and the second one is going to be that controversy about streaming and whether or not you're allowed to stream according to Atlas, the developer of the game. Um, very quickly, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about my first impressions on uh, the game itself. I played about... I don't know, five to ten hours, something like that. So it's really not a full review, but just impressions. Uh, loved the 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 previous episode. Uh, similarly, you know, those games are incredibly long. I didn't finish it. I went midway through. I think it was like 40 or 50 hours. Um, but enjoyed my time in it very, very much. Uh, and this one I was looking forward because of the design and the style of game and uh, all of this. And so far, I'm really enjoying it. I think it's uh, exactly what I was hoping for and exactly what people were expecting with this game. Incredible design very stylized um and the the type of game is absolutely persona like so we were saying that uh sometimes it's not enough to just remake the same thing but prettier uh because people get tired of it well persona 5 is really not an evolution of persona 4 at least so far it, I mean, there are small things that do change, you know, the kind of bullet points you put on a marketing uh, document for your PR people to go and, and uh, sell it but to the journalists. But it's it feels like, at least so far, you know, maybe 20 hours in, the game completely changes. But so far, it really feels like it's basically the same thing as Persona 4. And I would say that this is not for everyone. Um, basically, the first three or four, maybe even more, three or four hours, uh, maybe five, you're not really playing the game. Um, it is kind of a visual novel. You don't have anything to do except maybe walk for, you know, five meters and then press a button. And that's literally the entirety of the interaction you have in the game, the entirety of the gameplay you have. Uh, there's maybe half an hour of combat kind of, and the combat is relatively easy. And uh, even when you have choices to make, which is a staple of visual novels, the choices don't matter. It's kind of like two possible answers. Uh, the the two answers being yes and probably yes. You know, it's like ridiculously <laughs> non-gameplay-y. And it's fun to discover the world. It's fun to find out about everything that's happening. And it is very much manga, anime, on the nose, like very, uh, uh, not a lot of subtlety, possibly because, uh, you know, Japan doesn't have a lot. <laughs> that's going to get me some flack, probably. But they have a peculiar brand of emotional development in Japan. And I think people uh, get into emotional adulthood a lot later and sometimes not at all than we do in the West. And that leads uh, uh, teenagers and high schoolers to be either, you know, more socially awkward or a little bit more... Uh, straightforward in the way they express themselves or at least in popular culture and that you know this game is very much a victim of that and if you love japan then you're gonna love this if you don't it's gonna look incredibly weird and awkward and incomprehensible to you mm, so i mean that is you pretty much just uh 
put a spotlight on the the main hurdle to get over when you're trying to get your friends into your favorite anime. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that, I feel like that kind of comes with the territory and is true of most Japanese products that I really enjoy. So I'm not, I'm not sure that would necessarily turn me off of it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm being quiet because I haven't played it because Japanese JRPGs aren't, aren't really <laughs> my, aren't really my cup of tea. That being said, I, <laughs> I, when I, when I guessed it on DLC, um, and they were also talking about Persona 5. Uh, ever since then, I've been getting a, a lot of folks tweeting at me, trying to sell me on it, um, and and everyone just keeps saying that I should try this one because of my love of emo culture. <laughs> well, there definitely is a significant amount of emoism in in this one. Um, it's also very adult in many of, it, of its themes. It's like shockingly maybe we're we're touching on the story a little bit and i wouldn't want you know atlas to come knocking on my door because i'm spoiling anything and i don't like to spoil anything so i'm not going to are but... you, are you, are you, i'll be brave come at me atlas <laughs> i'm gonna but buy it, your game anyway <laughs> it is surprising how uh serious the 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 things they talk about are and uh, it kind of clashes with other elements of the game and sometimes you're like whoa Really? You went there? Wow, that's very heavy. And I'm not sure this is being dealt with in the most appropriate way. But it's still, you know, the uh, I, you were saying you don't like the JRPG games in general. This is absolutely a JRPG. You know, turn-based weaknesses that you have to discover. Like, this is the core of the game. There's this and the personas you have to merge and, you know, evolve and things like that, which if you don't like it and you don't like the visual novel aspect of it, really, there's nothing in this game for you. So, Well, uh, I like visual novels and, uh, you know, the, like, three screenshots I've seen of this game before Atlas took them down uh, looked <laughs> visually amazing. Like, I, yeah. I love the style. So I think if I was to recommend this game, I would say, you know, it's not the kind of game that I say transcends the genre so much that you can recommend it to anyone. I think people looking at this game and wondering about the hype, uh, maybe a little bit like you're doing, should really consider whether or not they like those two elements, you know, the JRPG-ness of it and the visual novel style of it, because if you don't like visual novels, you're going to die in the first five hours of this of this <laughs> game. Um, if you don't like uh, JRPG mechanics, you're going to die for the entirety of the game. Uh, in your case, it seems you're, uh, you know, open to the ar- artistic style and storytelling of the game. So you might have a good time. And I would say that one aspect which I loved in Persona 4 is even more present in this one. And that's the Japanese-ness, like the real-world Japanese-ness of it. Meaning, you really feel like you are in Tokyo, in this case. The previous one was a, a you know, smaller town in, uh, in, in, you know, in Japan. This one is in, the, in Tokyo itself. And there are very few games that are set in an actual real-world, modern, like current-time setting anywhere. And in Japan, they do that a lot more. And this one is absolutely that. So if you have any kind of, uh, you know, affinity for Japan, you will... It's very strange to be playing in a game where it's the actual city. Like, not 
Liberty City or Los Santos or whatever caricature version of it. This is supposed to be the actual city. And it it's really engrossing and fun for someone who likes that. So have you ever been in Japan? I have I have not. I sh I should try and find that uh, there was a Twitter link, a moments Twitter link, which was basically someone who put together. Uh, oh, there it is. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, someone put together a uh, series of screenshots from the game and from Tokyo showing how similar it is to the point that uh, a friend of mine was saying, I'm going to link it to you in Skype. Uh, a friend of mine was saying, I've never been in Tokyo, but it feels like I, I'm uh, I'm in there in Persona, and I was like, if you go to Tokyo, if you play Persona enough, you go to Tokyo, you'll feel like you're in Persona. It is extremely well uh, uh, portrayed. So wow, I, I I feel like I have to defend Los Santos because I have lived in in Los Angeles, and my God, <laughs> when I played GTA V, I was having some mad flashbacks. But uh, I'm looking at these right now, and yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's uncanny. Yeah, it is very very. Uh, you know and and it's not just the architecture of the of the city it is the 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 feeling of being part of that ecosystem it's kind of well, hard to describe at, but uh, it it's 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 the attention to detail because it's not just the architecture it's like your nondescript kiosk for a tasty frozen beverage they've yeah. nailed it like <laughs> exactly <laughs> who goes to that length and I think that's a big part of the Persona series, so uh, especially for people in the West. So that might be a motivation for you to get it as well. So anyway, that was the uh, impressions part. And uh, now about the controversy, and I think a lot of people have heard about this, but basically Atlas was saying, um, we don't want you to stream this game because spoilers. And... That sort of rose a stink, and uh, they are blocking the game within the PlayStation 4 uh, UI like interface. Uh, you can't stream it from there, and obviously it's very easy to do it in, through other means, so people were still doing it. But it did raise the question of, does a publisher have the right to prevent people from uh, streaming the game. And the way they phrased that blog article was really interesting because they said, our masters in Japan are watching. And I absolutely feel like, you know, they literally used the words, our masters in Japan. And that, that feels like something the US team or Western team disagreed with so much. And they were trying to explain, you know, you can't do that. Like, you can't tell people that they're not allowed to stream your game and that you're going to ban them if they do. I mean, sure, you can do that. Like, you're going to take down their uh, videos on YouTube and do strikes, which is sucky and... But it's not acceptable, like in our common agreement, you know, non-verbal uh, um, agreements of how we live in society. But still, they put out the statement and it did raise a stink. And again, I'm not 100% sure how I feel about it. So I'm wondering how you feel about it. You're usually angry about those things. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean the, the cold hard truth at the end of the day is it's 100% within their right. I mean, it's their IP. They can do what they want. There are also 
you know, they're also going to have to deal with the backlash, which in this case is pretty much everyone universally saying, what are you? Are you crazy? Have you been living under a rock? Are you completely unaware of how the modern world functions uh, on a on a fan level around a video game? Um, Which is basically my my reaction. So, yeah, it's kind of more idiotic than they have the right to do it. But, you know, I think if I'm being completely honest, I think this was blown out of proportion. And yes, they put out this blog. No one really cared. The people who wanted to stream it, streamed it anyway. I understand, kind of understand the point of we don't want people to spoil the game, which kind of says if you watch the game being played, you're not going to want to play it as much yourself because the story is so important in that context. But... First of all, of course, it's not going to be everyone. It's not, you know, people who want to play the game, I suspect, are going to want to play it for the most part more than they're going to want to watch it. But it doesn't, it didn't matter. And it was like the, the, the Western uh, uh, teams put it out. They knew it wouldn't, yes, it's some bad press, but it wouldn't have any actual effect. And I think the moment things would get a lot more hairy will be if they actually issue a copyright strike against a uh, YouTube channel for hosting some of their content. I don't think they did it yet, right? They haven't done I, it. I haven't, uh, again, I can't speak to it. I don't watch every YouTube channel, but uh, <laughs> we'd, uh, I haven't oh, heard. We'd have heard about it. I think right, right. That's the thing. I haven't I haven't heard anything from, from any corner of the, uh, of the internet, but... Uh, yeah, man, it's strange. I mean, I, I, like I, anyone who doesn't want to be spoiled isn't going to be watching these streams. Like, uh, I don't know. But I think I it's such a. I think it's such a bizarre. Uh, it's such a bizarre fight against free will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I think the idea it would be freedom of expression, I suppose, but. I understand the sentiment that when a game is so heavily story-based, if you watch it, you know, 10 hours through, I understand that it would diminish your uh, enthusiasm at going through the exact same thing again yourself. So it could result potentially in decreased sales to a small extent, right? I think that's what, if I have to guess... I would think that this would be a big part of the reasoning why they put out this ridiculous statement. Um, so I understand the logic behind it, but I think it's not as big a deal as they thought it was in Japan. But um, oh, I mean, I I agree one hundred percent because I don't. Again, I don't think anyone's tuning into a stream and being like, "Oh no, I haven't spoiled. I didn't know that watching a game <laughs> being played would spoil me on it." Ah, oh, what was right. me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, there are some games where it's not as important to be spoiled as others. Like if you if you you know, if you watch Heroes of the Storm, for example, there's nothing to spoil and it's fine. Yeah, you, yeah, people I, I I think that is I mean, you're most people play the JRPG for the story, right? I don't think anyone's yeah. getting in there uh well, I don't know. Some people really do love uh turn based combat and I'm not one of those people, so uh maybe it's hard for me. But I, I, I it, you're most, I feel like most of my friends who are extremely passionate about JRPGs, they're, they're in for, for the story. They're, they're as passionate about those games for the same reason they're passionate about their favorite anime or, or even outside of Jap- Japan, their favorite novels and favorite movies. Mm. Yeah, I get your point. I guess what you're saying is 
if someone uh, wants to play the game, they're not going to be watching the the stream. So anyone who it, it, wants to exactly yeah, anyone and, watching and the stream the argument, is not gonna yeah. And I would make the argument that that watching someone play a game uh, will increase the chances you will go and buy that game. It's certainly been the case with me. I was never a Bethesda fan. Uh, and, and obviously this is one person. This is not a sample size, but <laughs> I was not a Bethesda fan. I was watching day nine play Skyrim. I went and bought it that day. It's the first Bethesda game I ever bought uh, because I was watching this guy play through like five hours of the game. I'm like, man, this, this looks dope. I have to get this now. You know, I understand it. I agree completely but i think uh a lot of people saying this are 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 misunderstanding how much of a visual novel this game is and you know how to which extent watching it unfold is a huge amount of the enjoyment of the game so i don't think for for fallout there is a lot more you know differences in the way in the gameplay and the I think, of course, there is some gameplay. There is a lot of gameplay in Persona, but the story takes up a much bigger part of the game. So it wouldn't necessarily have the... Like, it's like, I don't know, watching an anime and then w watching it again. Like, if you watch it streaming on Netflix, you're not going to go and buy the DVD unless, you know, it's the best thing ever and you want to watch it every day, right? So, of course, it's not exactly the same thing, but trying to play devil's advocate here. No, that's, that's that is a fair point, Patrick. I'll give I'll give you that. I just right. uh, I just uh, I just disagree. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. okay. That's 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 fair enough. And I do ultimately I do agree that you know most people who want to play the game are not going to watch the stream because they know it's going to spoil the story and they want the story. And if you're not intrigued by the game already, you can always go and watch like for a couple of hours and think, all right, this is my jam. I'm going to go and buy it and I'm going to stop watching it online because I want to enjoy the story. So it's not like people are being forced to go and watch it being played until the end and force spoiled all of it. So yeah, I, it was a dumb It was a dumb blog post. They definitely should not have posted it. And you could... So again, I'm insisting here because I might have some level of experience to a lesser degree with, you know, cultural differences manifesting themselves in uh, intra-office relationships between continents. Um, and I absolutely, uh, you know, sympathize with the people who had to put this blog post up in the West and who are pulling their hairs out Uh, as it was happening uh, with their, you know, masters in Japan, as they put it. Yeah, well, and at the end of the day, I think we're all going to be fine. I think people are still going to buy Persona 5, <laughs> and I think the rest yeah. of us will move on and not be that angry that, you know, we, we shouldn't be streaming it. Yeah, it's as, uh, yeah, as we mentioned, it's kind of a, it shouldn't have been such a big story, and we kind of fell into the trap by talking about it so much. So let's just be happy that it sold, how much was it, a million five hundred thousand uh in just a few days in the west so that's a definitely a huge success uh, given the history of the series which was you know a kind of a niche cult uh uh success in the west and this one has transformed it into an actual uh big seller so we can be happy about that all right a bunch of different announcements with other pretty big sellers. Uh, the first one, I would say, and the one that is, you know, the, the closest to my heart is Destiny 2, which has been confirmed to launch on September 8th. 
There is going to be a gameplay reveal sometime in May, I believe, but we got a teaser and a full reveal trailer, which got some um, criticism and enthusiasm uh, because of its uh, self-deprecating humor nature, or at least breaking the fourth wall a little bit too much for some. Uh, I'm sure most people have seen it by now, so I'm just going to ask you the question immediately. In which camp did you fall? You didn't play Destiny all that much, did you? Uh, I played it to max level, uh, both for the launch, uh, starting on day one, and I also played the beta. uh, And then I came back to it with the Taken King and and played it uh, basically until my eyes bled. Ah, nice. So you were a Taken King fan. I, uh, Taken King fixed, I think, just about every complaint I had with the game. All right. Excellent. Well, you know, as uh, listeners might remember, I was completely crazy about Destiny 1 and absolutely insanely in love with the Taken King. It was all I could talk about for like three months. Um, and uh, so I'm super excited about the second actual uh, version of the game. But yeah, about the trailer, are you? which camp do you fill in? Is it like did they did they misstep with that humor or was it what you wanted i i personally really enjoyed it uh watching it through the first time i mean after the fact i've you know as i think on it i'm just like well what do i like from a gameplay trailer when i think Mm -hmm. about it like i I always go back to the to like a wow expansion cinematic so i think i do like my trailers a little more self-serious and then inject the game itself with the humor and self-references so Cade being uh, incredibly Nathan Fillionish in uh, Firefly didn't really uh, make you happy. <laughs> I, I I I don't think Malcolm Malcolm Reynolds was funny. I don't think he was that on the nose funny. No, it was, um, he wasn't for sure. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I, that again. That being said, I'm 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 torn because I really like when I watched it the first time. I was laughing. I had a, a stupid five year old smile on my face, and I was just having a good time. Uh, and, and then I saw the, you know, after the fact, I read an article and realized it's coming to PC. So I was super jazzed. Um, so I wasn't even really thinking about the trailer, but I wouldn't have minded a slightly more, you know, kind of epic, mm. uh, trailer. I mean, I th- re- re- frankly, I, I think if it was, if, if they didn't, if they didn't cut the Kate six at all, and it was just the rousing speech, it still would have been kind of a lame trailer because they didn't show anything except uh, a dude talking to a group of people. Exactly. Yeah. I think, yeah, the, the trailer is not the kind of thing you want for an explosive like triple a badass kind of thing it's this is but the thing is destiny itself and to an extent the taken king but you know they fixed that uh quite a bit it was so self-serious and so completely mysteriously not understandable uh with its story and the way it it uh it took itself well so seriously that the Taken King was the right uh, balance. And I'm kind of hoping that it's not always going to be, you know, Cade 6 making fun of the game because that is absolutely what he's doing there. I hope the Destiny 2 itself is not going to be only this. But I think it was a good call to explain to the, the, the players this game is not, you know, Destiny 2 is not going to be the snooze fest story-wise that Destiny 1 was. It Like, we're going to have, we understand what the game is now, and we know you want loot, and we know, and I mean, 
I'm a sucker for Fillion and for uh, Joss Whedon humor anyway. I understand it was a, taking it a little bit farther and maybe a little bit too far, but it was just so damn refreshing. You know, it's oh, like 100%. Uh, I, and that that came in with the Taken King. And it was, I think, what the, really what the game uh, needed. Um, I mean, frankly, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm really of two minds because leading up to Destiny, you know, there was the swaths of concept art that was coming out and everything. And it was really looking like it was going to be D&D in space. Like they were really mm-hmm. hammering home this idea of like future goblins fighting future knights with you know, who had Master Chief guns and I was buying into it. And then the game came out and there was there was like a shell of that left over in the in the frame of this extreme self-seriousness that the game carried itself with. But there was no actual substance. You know, if, if you if you went through and you, you read like, you know, the little entries that you had to really dig for, there was some, I think, really interesting stuff there. But none of that played out on the surface level of the game. Um, so I think they really could have gone either way. They decided to go to make it a little more light, uh, and fun. And, and I think that was great too, but I think they also, if had they just paid off on some of that self-seriousness that it could have also been a success. I think, you know, what we're seeing it, it's all, you know, speculation now, but we're, we're sort of forgetting because of that Cade six speech, we're sort of forgetting the other half, which is extremely self-serious, which is, you know, What's his name? Kadalov, Zavala, says something, the blue guy. Um, I just call him the dude from The Wire. There you go. <laughs> All right. It's the... Right. What's his name? He was awesome. Um, he, he, was, he was Daniels in The Wire. I always forget the actor's name in real life. I'm actually looking it up right now. Continue. Uh, Lance Reddick. There it is. Thank you. Um, so Lance, who's uh, <laughs> Zavala, I think, uh, is, is, is doing the self-serious thing. And... I don't know that super hot and super cold work together to make it, maybe it makes it mild in the end that they should choose, choose, uh, choose a direction. I don't know. But I think there might be some of that space opera uh, epicness that we were hoping for. And, you know, it becomes a very much a, a, a preference, a personal preference. But I have a hard time getting into the incredibly super serious stuff when there's no... Uh, uh, distance being injected. And I think that's why I, I enjoy uh, the Joss Whedon brand of writing a lot more than I do the more serious stuff. Like when you when you compare, and I understand this is a you know very different comparison, but if you compare the Marvel movies with the DC movies, I think the main difference is that in the Marvel movies, sometimes people look at each other and go like, we kind of look weird, right? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Okay. All right. Carry on. But you know, they acknowledge it. And in the DC, they don't really or they try and it doesn't work. It's kind of like, have you seen, this is completely way off base, but whatever, it's my show. Um, Have you seen (laughs) Fast and Furious uh, 8? I have not seen 8 yet, which is like, this is the first time I think in the history of the franchise I haven't seen the movie on the day it came out. It was just bad timing with Star Wars Celebration. So I'm not going to spoil it, but there is a lot of, well, not a lot. There is some of that distance and uh this is not a big thing but at more than once they people look at the rock and acknowledge how ridiculous of a look he has for a human being right he's kind of this (laughs) juggernaut elephant human that doesn't seem human and they acknowledge this with uh humor and fun and badassery but 
you can't look at this at this person and not think he is weird, you know, and and him being in a room and no one acknowledging it does not compute for me, right? And mm-hmm. and and in in a sense, I think that destiny and super self serious, uh, you know, anything, game, movie, whatever in themselves are kind of that uh, the rock is in the room and no one thinks it's it's strange uh, scenario. So I'm really glad that they are doing this with Destiny 2. I'm just hoping they don't push it too far. But um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, uh, at the end of the day, I'm I'm very excited for it. I, I I have you know my list of things I'd like to see and list of things I'd like to see them stay away from. But uh, I'm picking it up. I mean, mm. it's a bungee it's a bunch of games. The sequel to Destiny, which I already <laughs> enjoyed despite its its failing. So I'm yeah. all in. I I will say, however, that I think some people who are hoping it's going to be very different are going to be a little bit disappointed. The Destiny formula was very much refined over two over two years, and uh, they're going to add a single player experience that's going to be worthy of being played through. I'm certain of that, but I don't think they're going to you know change the core gameplay elements of the game which are basically diablo fps in space uh with a twist but that's basically what it is i don't think it's all suddenly going to turn into an incredible you know mmo like experience it's still going to be lobbies it's still going to be instances of zones and dungeons and stuff like that so i wouldn't expect a lot more than that but we'll see yeah, I just hope the zones get a little bigger. I hope we get to go to more than one area of Earth. <laughs> um, but uh, as long as it's just a little bigger, a little more refined, I'm 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 looking forward to it. All right, we'll see. Uh, Star Wars Battlefront Two was announced for November 17. Uh, we've seen the first trailer, which. Uh, oh, by the way, there's an actual single player campaign as well. So uh, it seems I, I, like yeah. Go I ahead. I can't wait. I'm so excited for the campaign. Uh, I'm one of the... I, I, I talked about this on Let's Talk About Star Wars last night. I think I'm the only person uh, in existence that has any reverence for the original two Battlefront games. <laughs> um, I think there are a few people. I, I really enjoyed them. And two, the original Battlefront 2... I'm so mad that they started renumbering them. Uh, the original Battlefront 2, I think, had, had a really fun campaign and told an interesting story. Um, so I'm... I'm very excited. Also, this trailer looks like, I don't know, it just hits everything I kind of want as a, as a Star Wars fan. What specifically? From the story. The, the, I, I want to play uh, Imperial Special Ops, you know, moments after the death of the Emperor. I want to see that story play out. That's a pretty genius uh, angle, by the way. I, I haven't played through the old ones, so I don't know um how it went you know were they as original in their approach to to the storytelling in the campaign battlefront 2 uh the campaign you started as a clone trooper and it took you up through the events of order 66 and uh and and basically told a story which i don't believe they consider canon anymore that the remainders of the clone troopers you know that that didn't die after eradicating uh, the jedi in the war essentially became the 501st which is vader's fist his his personal garrison of stormtroopers and it was it was really cool 
Wow, it was really interesting, and at the same time, I realized the depth of your nerdiness for Star Wars. That was uh, yes, I'm, a, I'm dude. I'm a raging Star Wars nerd, I, I, and again, I don't think that's canon, but it was a cool story at the time. I even enjoyed the stories told in Force Unleashed, despite being some of the worst video games I've ever played. You know what? I think in this case, uh, this is also a, a thing that I would very much appreciate, and. I think in this case it's okay to be self serious for the for, so for those who don't know the Battlefront Two campaign is going to take you oh you said it uh, basically you're going to be an elite uh, team of stormtrooper people um, yeah, they're wearing stormtrooper armor it's just uh, black with red emblems right and and basically you're on Endor uh, the moment the uh, Death Star explodes or is it the that is it also called the Death Star the second one it, it's the it's the Death Star Two okay and, Death Star Two. And- and it's the forest moon of Endor, sir. The forest moon of Endor. <laughs> right. Sorry. I didn't realize it wasn't Endor itself. Um, and so you're, <laughs> you're one of those uh, uh, stormtroopers. By the way, it's a woman. I thought that the Empire basically only had uh, men who spoke in English as a sort of uniform uh, symbol of how... Uh, how much lack of diversity was in the empire. I, I heard someone saying this and it's true. Like you only have, uh, n- n- uh, men and humans, I guess maybe it's not just men, but humans. It's, it, it, it's not, um, it's just, it's straight up is not, uh, I mean in the movies, that's really all you get to see. Yeah, a bunch exactly, of, you exactly, know, yeah. Nazi looking, you know, white dudes running around. Mm. Um, but in all of the extraneous novels uh, that have been coming out ever since they threw out the EU, and have started penning their own canon, uh, there are a lot of female figures within the Empire. All right. But still only human, right? They don't have those pesky aliens. Well, Thrawn, the, one of the most famous Imperials in the history of uh, Star Wars, Damn both it. in the extended universe and now canon again, is a chiss. Uh, but that's, <laughs> that's part of what makes his story so interesting, that despite the, uh, the xenophobia of the Empire, that he rose to the rank of, of Grand Admiral. Hmm. Okay. I know who I'm asking if I need some uh, details about Star Wars. Um, <laughs> but so the, I, yeah. I think, but, but you're you're pretty much on the nose that they they're yeah. they're essentially racist against any race other than human. Right. Right. Um, so anyway, I, I really think that this uh, angle is fantastic. And and when you watch the trailer for the um, for the campaign, you do get that other side of it you know that that uh elite trooper who's like i can't you know i can't believe they killed our emperor like everything we've been working towards and like you can imagine some kind of anyway it's a really cool uh angle and a really cool way of telling a story which i hope uh, manifests into a really cool campaign for that game um and they also showed a little bit of the multiplayer with uh heroes that are going to be from the entirety of the uh you know the the movies there are basically kylo ren is there uh weird double sword spiky head what's his name again darth maul darth maul Maul, i remember double sword spiky head is actually my my favorite my favorite name for him (laughs) was the name of my uh uh offspring cover band in college uh so yeah, and there's uh, Yoda as well. So I guess you're excited about all of this. 
I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, like I even, you know, about the first, the the second first Battlefront was fine. It was pretty shallow, uh, but I still had a very good time with it. I've, I've mentioned on other shows that, again, even though it wasn't a particularly deep game experience, it was something I really enjoyed from just a relaxation point. It was it was the game I went to to just lay on my couch and just kind of zone out like and just shoot mm-hmm. people with lasers. And I had a very good time with that as it was. And it uh, happened to be one of the most beautiful games I've ever played. That uh, is very it, true. Yeah. Yeah. They did a very good job of, of capturing the, the Star Wars universe to AT. Uh, but I really I wanted a campaign and uh, I'm getting it in Battlefront 2. And it also happens to be telling a story uh, in, a, in a in a segment of the Star Wars timeline that I, I feverishly want more information on. So I'm I'm very excited for it. Well, we'll see what happens in, uh, what is it, November. So we have a few months uh, still. Uh, Uncharted The Lost Legacy is coming out in August. It's going to be a standalone uh, piece of software, and it's going to cost 40 bucks. So it's basically a mini Uncharted game. It looked really good. Uh, the people who bought the, uh, the season pass are going to get it not for free, but as part of the season pass when it was supposed to be just uh, 15 bucks, I think, originally. And it expanded beyond the scope of a simple add-on. Um, so that's kind of exciting. I'm curious to, as always, you know, the trailer for it is incredibly acted and motion captured. And uh, I'm always excited for some more Naughty dogs. So I'm going to... Yeah, I'm in, I'm in the same boat. I'm just kind of... I'm, I'm just a fanboy. Uh, if Naughty Dog keeps making games, I'm going to keep picking them up. Yeah. It this one feels like it shouldn't be 40 bucks, but it also feels like I'm going to pay the 40 bucks anyway. Like, like you know, <laughs> yeah, it feels I'm, like it should be a thing for 20 or maybe you know like uh uh second uh second son first light um the the thing. Anyway, it was it was really good, but it was like 15 and I I'm guessing maybe this one is a little bit more than that, but 40 bucks. Yeah, like yeah, this is going to be the most boring conversation ever because I just agree with you 100%. <laughs> Seems more than I'd like to pay. I'm going to pay it anyway. I'll probably exactly. really enjoy the game. Yeah. Uh, Dragon Quest uh, 11 finally has a release date. It's going to be July 29 in Japan. So don't get your, you know, don't get excited yet. You still have some time to finish all the games you haven't finished yet um, before you rush to Dragon Quest 11. The reason I'm mentioning it is that Dragon Quest is very likely the biggest game in Japan, period, ever. Um, and Dragon Quest XI was, you know, has been uh, uh, expected for a long time. We didn't know if it was even going to make 2017. I guess there is still time for delays, but uh, it does have a release date which is not too far off, so it seems like it might happen. And it will probably take a year to arrive in the West afterwards. Uh, I understand that people in the West are not as excited about Dragon Quest XI as they might be for other games, but it's super pretty. And it's kind of like some of these other games, including Persona, um, that we haven't loved as much before, but we get a chance to check out with a new episode releasing. So I'll be looking forward to it when it comes out, you know, translated and everything in the West, but... Didn't want to mention it that we now have a date for Japan. I've never played a single one. Uh, they've always been on the edge of my interest because of the Dragon Ball connection. Uh, I just yeah, don't Toriyama know where to design. Yeah. yeah, I don't know where to begin. <laughs> well, uh, Dragon Quest XI is probably going to be a good place to begin. 
Is it like Final Fantasy where I can just jump in at whatever number and it doesn't matter? Or do I need to know what the hell happened before? Nope. You can jump in anyway. And at cool. any point. Um, All right. All right. It, I mean, you probably one. get more out of it if you, you know, played more, uh, played the other games. But um, I don't think you need to know the story. Fair enough. And it's not the same characters. So. Hmm. Um, and, uh, what did I want to say? Oh, right. For, in case you don't know, it's coming out on, uh, 3DS and PlayStation 4. And it is full 3D on PlayStation 4 and top-down view on play, on 3DS. Like, old-school RPG on 3DS. So that's kind of... Wait, a, the, the same game with the same name with two completely different perspectives to play it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's crazy! It's, and, you know, go check out the trailer. It actually looks... It works like it's surprisingly uh, uh, it's surprisingly well done. And, you know, you would think it's weird. It's like this overarching concept that was distilled into 3D on PS4 and, uh, you know, 2D on 3DS with some 3D on 3DS. And both look like they are absolutely legitimately designed for that console like it's I, i'm pretty sure they from the get-go decided we're going to design it with two different teams that were working independently and uh are going to make individual games almost i mean i don't Man, think that's I, how it happened but i really want them to do that for pokemon <laughs> is that a mm. weird reaction to this <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I, I want i want to play a full pokemon game on my couch in immersed in the world it you know i think it could uh work like that as well the best thing would be obviously for the switch you know if it could well, yeah you wouldn't have to uh you wouldn't have yeah. to have any conversion to a different you know yeah. like isometric view for a handheld because it's yeah. just well the console is a handheld but um yeah i mean seriously if only for the technical achievement of, of all of this go and check it out and uh, of course uh Square Enix is uh, selling a giant package with both games included. So if you want to play, and there is no like cross save, so you would have to play it on both individually and finish it twice if you wanted to do that. But you know, again, Dragon Quest is a crazy popular series in Japan. Um, a piece of news that uh, no one is going to care about. Okay, I'll keep that one for last, but. First, uh, Call of Duty is probably going to be returning to World War II. And I guess no one cares about that one either. Um, but uh, yeah, it's <laughs> I, kind I of, think it's about time. I think it's about time for Call of Duty to go to go back. I don't know. I mean, it's not like it's worse than not going back. I don't know what Call of Duty could do right now. I think they could... I mean, Activision obviously not go- is not going to leave all that money on the table, but I think it should take a break. I think uh, it should take a break or it should, you know, go the games as a service route and just pick a title, stick with it for a while, for a year or two mm-hmm. before releasing a refresh. Yeah, yeah, maybe, you know, that could work for uh, uh, a year off, just like Assassin's Creed uh, is doing, well, did last year. I'm guessing we're going to see a new one this year, but... I mean, because even World War II, and, and, you know, of course, they started working on this a while ago, so it's not like they copied Battlefield that went to World War One, but it looks like it, the, the impact is a lot less because uh, Battlefield went to global conflicts of history before them. I mean, I don't know. It's, 
and they can't go back further than World War Three, maybe World War One. But you know, Battlefield is all about actual like guns and shooting and accuracy. You can't go too far back, so there isn't a lot of uh, uh, a lot of places they could go or times they could go. I don't know. I would personally buy Call of Duty, you know, Revolutionary War, like immediately. I want muskets and bayonets. Like you want to reload your gun every time you fire? I'm being a smart ass, Patrick. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, because that would be interesting from a, you know, game design and gameplay standpoint, but I, yeah, I don't I, think would, the would Call it, though, of Duty crowd it, would I, be I feel like it would, it would wear itself out rather exactly. quickly. Yeah. Mm. So unless anyway, I just played through uh, the, the the unless they just made it pa- the Patriot the game and it had a really great like hatchet mechanic, <laughs> maybe you know what you have to take risks to make some omelets. Is that how it goes? I guess you know what I would totally play the Patriot the game now that I think about <laughs> it. Like sneaking through like swamps and stuff and stealthing up to some British soldiers. I apologize to our British listeners. <laughs> well, it's old ancient history. It's fine. Everyone's happy with this i'm sure they would have stuff to throw in your face too yeah we're we're all friends now um well most of us uh (laughs) uh, that one is the one i don't think many people are going to care about but i'm still going to talk about it because some people will care about it and that's good enough for me um because i'm one of those people uh do you know the company arika arika in Japanese. I am not familiar with them. Okay, so Arika is a company founded by uh, developers from Capcom that went off and created a 3D version of Street Fighter a long time ago uh, called Street Fighter EX. And I'm looking it up right now. It's a, it was a PlayStation, an original PlayStation game. Yep, it's an old game, and it was a fantastic version of Street Fighter. It was kind of a side thing. It wasn't like canon, or it was licensed by Capcom, obviously, but it wasn't like straight Street Fighter one, two, three. It was EX. It was like a 3D version, but more in a. Um, it was a, still on a plane. Uh, you know, a 2D plane. So it was just 3D graphics and just a very little bits of 3D uh, side action. But it was the, the, the core gameplay elements were so well designed. Uh, it was a joy to play. And I remember being in Japan, in Tokyo, in my tiny room on my tatami with my PlayStation, like trying to master those combo challenges with... It it was really fun. And I think what struck me was that when I played that trailer, which was part of an April Fool's joke thing, but actually it was confirmed. So the point is there is going to be a, a Street Fighter EX game that's going to that's gonna come out. Uh, and that's the news. But when I played that trailer, I remembered the sounds and characters from that game that I haven't played in like 17 years and I was just a few months in back then. And I remembered how, you know, the fun came rushing back in and it, it's not to say that the game is actually going to be as fun. It's There might be a lot of nostalgia uh, in there, but I'm still uh, going to be expecting that game and very happy to play it and buy it once it comes out. Uh, it did The series did go to Street Fighter EX4 or something like that, but I'm just craving some ex right now i should maybe go and try to find it somewhere with an emulator 
I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand if uh, there's always fighting game news and I just don't see it or if you're such a big fighting game fan that every time I'm on this show that you have found the most obscure piece of news <laughs> to uh, <laughs> to inform me of in the realm of, of usually Street Fighter. Well, possibly a little bit of both with possibly mostly the second one. <laughs> I don't think there's I, anything wrong with that. I I will absolutely admit that I am a you know it's weird because I I'm a his, historically I'm a fighting game fan. I I'm not playing as much as I would like uh right now, but that history is staying with me, so I always have a little bit of my interest uh in there. So, yeah. As I said, it's not going to be someone for, something for for everyone, but I know that a few people are going to remember Street Fighter EX and uh, going to go like, oh, I love that game. <laughs> Maybe a couple. All right, uh, let's move on to the Blizzard corner, which we sometimes do when there's a lot of news from, uh, well, Blizzard. And, uh, of course, Blizzard is a huge developer, publisher, all of this. And we also have a very close relationship with the company and the games. I used to be uh, an employee of Blizzard, so no pretenses of independence there. But there is still a lot to talk about because they're, as we said, as I said, a big developer. And they're making a lot of games that a lot of people love. And, God, there's a lot of stuff happening in those games in April. I mean... How did do they? They don't time anything. Like ev- almost every game has stuff happening right now. And you used to work for stuff. them. I'm uh, you used to work for them. I'm sure you're aware of how just independent each team is. Yeah, they, basically entirely. And it used to create some pretty serious headaches when we were getting the news of when stuff was coming out, and we were like, "But wait a second, there's this other thing coming out like a week before." Couldn't we stagger them? And they're like, well, yeah, it's kind of ready and we're good to go and we have a schedule. So, and uh, yeah, it was hair pooling. But this this month is especially active. I mean, yeah, it's this is it's like blizzard april dog it's it's crazy i mean it, like hearthstone expansion release major overwatch update uh the closest thing we'll ever get to a heroes of the storm sequel uh and the necromancer beta like what yeah and even the, and, oh and 7.2 and wow although i i must say really really let me down that patch it did you know i haven't even a bunch of stuff have have been happening and I haven't had a lot of time, but I've had time to play Overwatch and Heroes and Diablo of all things. I've jumped back into Diablo, but I didn't even, you know, WoW seems like a huge undertaking to even launch it. So I didn't really get into it at all. Uh, why is it a disappointment for you? Uh, the new zone is just uh, is boring me to tears. Really? It's, but it's it really seems like of... there's a lot of stuff to do. There's not really. It's if you like killing demons, I mean, there's a lot of that going on, <laughs> but that's that's really it. Uh, the the invasions are cool. I like the invasions. It's it switches up world quests, but but I was already kind of burnt out on world quests, so it's just a it's kind of a refresh on something I wasn't enjoying in the first place. Hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, man, broken shore, not just not not grabbing me thing. at all. I'm I'm basically sitting here just waiting for the raid. Okay. Yeah, it's coming. I, I was going to say the raid and the... Uh, there's. I guess you did the uh, dungeon. There's a new dungeon, like the cathedral of something. Yes, yeah. The, the dungeon is great, but I feel like they needed two more. Mm, okay. All right, so that's uh, WoW, and I unfortunately don't have a lot to add. Um, there's... 
as you said, a new expansion in Hearthstone. What's happening there? Uh, a lot of mixed opinions. I'm in the camp of this is the greatest thing to ever happen to the game. Really? Yeah, I love Uncoro. I am so smitten with it. Uh, I'm playing every class in the game right now. I am not moving up the ranks, but I don't care. <laughs> I'm just cackling like the Joker. I'm having a great time. So I did jump into Hearthstone after months of not even launching it. Um, and I, I looked around and it felt like I couldn't really build any decks because I didn't have, you know, I, I haven't played for a long time. So I'm, I'm very much behind. Uh, and I, how would someone get back into Hearthstone now? You have to jump in by like what 40 decks uh 40 I think, packs it de- I, think and- I think it depends on your your goal really i mean if your mm-hmm. goal is to hit legend yeah you should probably just buy a bunch of cards and craft uh decks that uh people smarter than you are telling is or not smarter but more experienced than you are telling you are uh you know tier one no but even but- if you're not competitive if you just want to jump in and, and play a little bit and you haven't played for a year let's say play arena Oh, arena okay. is in the best uh, the best place it ever has been. They released a, a massive arena update about a month before Angora's launch, which uh, really revitalized the game for me at the time when uh, when when the the standard meta was supremely stale. And um, and the, because of the changes that they made, arena is now uh, the standard format. That means now that Angoro is out and we have entered a new standard year, arena has completely changed after a month of it completely changing. It's hmm. it's really so, cool. Wait, what what did they change in the arena? That uh, it was it just the frequency of the different cards? Uh, no, arena used to be wild, meaning you had more or less equal oh, chance. Oh, they switched to it find, to standard. They switched it to standard. And and they made other changes as well. They they tweaked it so that spells are offered to you uh, at a slightly more frequency than they used to be. They made it so that you have a better chance of finding rare or higher rarity cards in your in your arena draft. Um, and they've also uh, really knocked down the frequency wh- where uh, a couple problematic cards were appearing. Things like Flame Strike for Mage, for example, are now those cards are appearing much less in your arena draft. All right. Okay, so Ngoro is, uh, just so we get the other side of it, you're saying there's a lot of uh, controversy or some people not happy with uh, the way balance is going with Ngoro? Uh, there are, some people are always not happy with the way I that guess, Hearthstone, yeah. Hearthstone is going in any video game I don't understand. I don't understand what happened to the Hearthstone community. You know, I, when I left, uh, I stopped playing the game maybe a year, a year and a half ago. Everyone was happy and cuddly. And all I hear now from the Hearthstone community, and let's be honest, the main part of the community is the Hearthstone subreddit, is bitching and moaning and complaining and like being <laughs> children. I mean, from here it sounds like I don't it's, understand. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what it boils down to, and I think this is really the case of just about any damn game, and this is not. I don't feel this is useful information for anyone, but I think I think if you're enjoying the game, you're not on Reddit talking about it. Like I think you're playing mm. the damn game. But so again, when I was checking out the the subreddit uh, a while ago, it was a lot more positive. And some people at some point, they did go out of their, you know, uh, they did go to Reddit to actually be constructive and talk about fun stuff. I I get very 
uh, I get very fed up with the negativity to the point mm. where I, I probably highlight it more than I, I, I should. I think more than it's it, it deserves to be highlighted. Mm. But um, I, I in, in all fairness, I think Reddit's about half and half. There's a lot of, you know, fun posts on there. Granted, it's usually a highlight from a streamer everyone knows and doesn't need the upvotes. But mm. um, there's still there's still plenty of people, you know, posting like, oh, my God, look at this play, you know, screenshots of insane things that happen. There's still plenty of people on there celebrating the game. That type of stuff doesn't tend to. Right, cultivate as much discussion though the mm. ones that the threads are going to have thousands of comments are going to be these inflammatory statements about how the game is dying mm. all right okay uh let's move on to the uprising update in overwatch which is super super fun for those who don't know um overwatch is well everyone knows it's a multiplayer game but the uprising update is basically a uh player versus environment pve event where you play four characters against the uh omnic invasion in king's row which does a lot of things right in different ways i think one of the things is uh it's a great pve event it's fun, it's uh motivating, it is exciting, and mechanically it's kind you know, already you have a real a real uh success, I think. It it employs uh mechanics from the game. There are points where you need to hold a point and then you need to um you know escort a payload and then you need to kill everyone <laughs> in the remaining area. So there it's a little bit of everything. And then the other aspect which I really enjoy is the storytelling. Um it it does through a what is if you compare it to a an actual, you know, uh uh pve game where it's just a campaign it is obviously not as good it's subpar in that respect but it does allow you to experience a uh, moment of the story of the team of the game the overwatch team um to experience it in a way that is meaningful like you actually play as the heroes you have known for a year because you've played with them in multiplayer context uh when they were younger and they have all of those voice interactions uh that that explain a little bit more of who they are and how they feel and how they relate to one another and you also play through a moment of their history which uh solidifies in your mind that adversity towards Omnics. And I remember playing through it the first time when they first dropped a bastion uh, against us who was like shooting his buckets of bullets at us. I felt like, holy crap, that thing that we've been fighting alongside for a year as, you know, he's part of the Overwatch team, he was trying to kill us before. Now I understand why Torbjorn and Zarya are so angry at Omnix. It's like, those things are little fuckers. Sorry for the language. <laughs> it's like, what are you... I, you know, it's... And, and I think oh. in that sense, it is uh, successful because it, it explained to me the psychological, intellectual path that those characters took throughout the history, uh, you know, the things they went through in those events. And I'm hoping we're going to see a lot more of those. Patrick? Yes. I picked the worst time to leave Overwatchers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, Are this you enjoying so, the Uprising uh, event? This event is so dope. It is like, it's exactly 
Well, not exactly what I was wanting. What I was wanting was that damn graphic novel that got canceled. But 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 <laughs> it's it's in that vein. It's telling. It's it's informing me more on this universe. Uh, that was my concern with Overwatch. Like I like the game, but at, at the end of the day, when we were, you know, it felt like we were getting together every other week to talk about. It. It's like, well, there's there's really nothing else to talk about other than p- playing the game uh, well to a high high degree of of skill and covering esports. And while I enjoy that type of stuff, it's it's not the only thing I enjoy. I really like Blizzard's world building and their storytelling. And it and, it, and I just I felt like I wasn't gonna get any of it anytime soon. <laughs> and then. Four weeks after I exit the podcast, <laughs> what do we get? The single largest lore-based event in the history of this game. Well, if it makes you feel any better, well, first of all, you can come on the show anytime. Um, and second of <laughs> all, <laughs> and second of all, I don't think it's going to be a, a you know every other month thing. It's probably going to no, be twice no, a year. I, maybe, I, I, but. Uh, I yeah. agree, but I mean, this event is just uh, everything I wanted. Um, so more of this, please, Blizzard. Yeah. Have you managed to finish it in higher difficulty than, you know, the regular one? It's really oh, God, hard. no. I've only watched people play it because I've been oh, so busy okay. with all the other Blizzard stuff happening. But, <laughs> talking, <laughs> but about, been... <laughs> talking about other Blizzard stuff, which you know a thing or two about since you also do a, sh- do a show about that one, uh, Heroes of the Storm is basically getting, well, not a sequel, but as you said, it's <laughs> almost that. The closest uh, thing to it. It's yeah. Uh, a bit like everything except the gameplay itself is getting a basic basically a from the ground up reconstruction so when you say everything except the gameplay itself can you tell us a little maybe you know in the 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 uh with the idea that someone has known about heroes of the storm a little bit maybe played in the beginning and hasn't really been following up on it uh what can they expect with heroes 2.0 uh, Heroes, as it as it exists right now, and as as it has existed since the tech alpha, which was basically public for a good portion of its life, to me uh, was very kind of twentieth century Blizzard. It was old hat Blizzard. It was it came obviously directly from the StarCraft team. It's still being developed by the StarCraft team. It's built in the StarCraft two engine, and it felt very much like old school Blizzard, except for the fact that it was a free to play game. Um, and Heroes 2.0 is really just kind of bringing it up to modern Blizzard sensibilities. Um, we're getting the, the big thing is is the progression system is being 100% just thrown out and revamped uh, to a point where it's much more gamified. You're you're going to be uh, leveling up your heroes um, at a much more steady pace. There were these massive plateaus between levels that started around. Level eight, like the gap from eight to nine and nine to 10 and 10 to 11 were so much larger than the gaps between one to seven, for example. Um, yeah, that, it was ridiculous. It, it was just insane. Yeah, it was that you've played. Um, and uh, so there, it's now a, a much more, uh, you know, it's a gradual curve all the way up to the, you know, to whatever level you, you're, you're looking to hit. Um, and, and the other big thing is loot boxes, which... We have it in Overwatch. We have card packs in Hearthstone. This idea of, uh, you know, randomizing your rewards in a way that um, uh, the the team, the you know, the developers can uh, reward you with things that previously you could only acquire through either real money or in-game currency, uh, but also make you consider spending even more real money. <laughs> it's but it's mostly. Um cosmetic stuff i guess you can get heroes in those loot boxes as well so yes yes you can get heroes through the boxes you can still 
get heroes with real money or gold, which is the 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 free to play currency that you accrue just through through playing. So nothing's really changing there. So in the optimistic light, the only thing that's happening is you now have a chance to get heroes straight up for free, which previously there was no way to do that. So there are also, if if I want to look at this with a little bit of suspicion in my in my mind, uh, there is uh, so real money, there's gold, there's gems, and there's shards. This is starting to sound like a very suspicious again uh, there- mobile game that is trying really <laughs> hard to get me to not understand that I'm spending money I don't have. So g- gems equal real money. You spend real money to get gems to then spend on heroes and featured items. Why not keep the real money then? Because, again, the optimistic light is they can now award gems as like via quests and via leveling upwards. Before, they were not going to award you cash. Right. There are some... Actually, so, yeah, that's... They can award you, I guess... Virtual cash, or they can give you money to put in your BattleNet account. I think they could do that. I'm not certain. I'm not, you know, aware of all the regulations. But I think another element is also that if you buy a lot of gems in bulk, then they only have the uh, credit card fees or whatever once. Whereas if you do multiple purchases, they have the credit card fees every every time. So that might play a role in it, but I'm still not a fan of gems. You know, it's I, I'm I'm not either. I'm not I'm not either. I, I I mean I think it's cool that I'll be able to get you know gems as a reward, uh, whereas you know previously there was no chance they were going to give me a dollar to put towards a hero. <laughs> um, like I think that's cool, but at the end of the day, you know, at the <laughs> at the point I am in my life, I am 30 now. I have a credit card. I I would just much rather spend. X amount of dollars on Y item, right, right, right. Yeah, uh, but so that that does that does annoy me. The the, the problem is is that it, it's it's a minor nuisance. It's hard for me to get really up in arms about. It. It's just something that 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 bothers me. Um, yeah, because I I hate I hate fake currency. Yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, everyone in the Heroes podcasting community has been talking about this and talking about the space box and how it's annoying. And I think everyone agrees. Um, but ultimately, it's kind of like that uh, Atlas blog post. It's like, yeah, whatever. It's not going to actually change anything. Um, yeah, yeah, at the end of the day, it just you know they get to give more things away for free, which gamifies the game more, which makes and they reduce up the prices. People. They reduce they did. the prices, that, that, if I understand correctly, right? Yeah, that's the other thing. It's, that's why it's so hard for me to get as angry as I normally would because overall the prices are going down, and I'll be able to get gems for free just by playing where previously that was not happening. Um, and you'll be, able to gem- buy, you'll, you'll be able to use gems to buy things other than just heroes because gold is still staying and gold will only be used to buy heroes. Um, you know, that was a weird decision. Uh, I thought it was weird initially. And then I realized that I was agonizing so much about how to spend my gold that I'd rather just, you know, spend it on heroes. And that sort of settles it. It's like, okay, I can buy heroes now because I have like yeah, <laughs> 60,000 gold that I'm like, I'm going to keep it just in case, you know, something happens and I need it. Yeah, just just buy heroes. And, and if you're, you know, trying to get the most bang for your gold, wait two weeks to buy new heroes because usually their right. their price drops about 5,000 gold and mm. all that kind of stuff. And, and yeah, I, while I hate that there is so many different currencies now to wrap your head around, I like that they're keeping gold because heroes at the, the, the actual heroes themselves, not the game, 
uh, are the only that's the only thing that changes your gameplay when you get a new hero that drastically changes or can you might hate the hero never touch them again but that is what drastically changes your gameplay the cosmetics are are really are really not i mean i get very excited about some of the skins but it doesn't make my character play any different Mm. i guess if you're looking at it like that it's really the things that affect gameplay it's uh well heroes so gold and real money so in that regard doesn't really change all that much it's all of the other stuff that is taken in a different category of you know different section of the store um, yeah 100 um so i uh, overall i'm very excited for it there's like i'm going to want to level up my heroes now that's going to be much more gamified and it's going to i think have the feeling uh, of of reward as you go through it because of all of the things that are now in the game that they can reward you with whereas previously it was just gold that was it Hope yeah. you like gold because that's all you're getting. <laughs> and uh, so they did. Uh, we didn't mention this, but every time you level uh, a character, you gain a player level, and every time you gain a player level, you get a loot box. Basically, it, that's how it works. So exactly, exactly. And those loot boxes and it's can much contain, easier to level, right? And those loot boxes can contain all sorts of things, from a hero itself to a skin to the new emojis that are being added, which seem dumb but are actually one of the things <laughs> yeah, I'm the most excited fun, for. Yeah. Uh, and the banners that basically if you take down a, uh, a tower or the merc camp, you plant your banner in there. Everyone knows you're the one who took it. And yeah, yes, kind of. yes. Uh, and and I'm sure somebody on your team is going to get mad that you got the last hit, even though they yeah, helped exactly. you siege it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But talking about gameplay, about actual gameplay, there is a little bit more. Um, and then we'll move off of heroes. But uh, we had the reveal of Genji and the Hanamura map yesterday. And there's another character that's going to be revealed next week. So there's a bunch of stuff happening there. But uh, Genji is unsurprisingly uh somewhat similar to his uh equivalent in overwatch and so that's very cool but the one that was more surprising to me is the hanamura map which it feels like kind of crazy there's a bunch of stuff happening everywhere and like i feel like i need to jump into the beta and try it out to even start to understand what's happening in there because it feels like the biggest departure from the other you know from the usual mechanics of the maps in the game i don't yes. know maybe it's me it, overreacting it's it's not it's not completely insane this is the second battleground we've uh that's been added to the game where you cannot directly attack the core tower of towers of doom was the first map to do that um so in that regard that that's nothing crazy um but there's the payloads and the mercenaries that give you stuff that heal you and the other <sighs> yes that's that's where stuff gets very progressive in the world of heroes of the storm um <laughs> like so i got to play hanamura a lot i went out to the hero summit where they announced 2.0 and i had to lie to my audience on here on into the nexus and tell them that uh, we didn't know anything else uh, <laughs> so wait do you also know what the next character is no, that no they're I, announcing and, and this is 100 percent true <laughs> everything that we saw at the summit has now been announced uh, so are you lying to me in the same way that you lied to your audience a few weeks no, ago? When no, you said no, no, no. I didn't lie to my audience so much as I just <laughs> failed to mention that we saw another hero and a battleground in addition to Cassia and 2.0, which were the first things that were announced that we were, you know, we could talk about uh, the, that enough. the embargo lifted on. The, uh, the embargo for Genji and Hanamura uh, obviously were, well, this week. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay, so Hanamura, you did get to play it. You played a little bit of Genji. 
What did you think? I, I did. I did play a little bit of Genji. Um, so for me on Genji, I tweeted this out earlier and it, and stands true. Um, it, it, he plays exactly like he does in Overwatch, which means mm. I feel really badass and then I die a lot. <laughs> um, he's he can get himself into some serious trouble, but his his ability to escape if you manage your abilities correctly is disgusting. He's a very cool hero. He feels very Genji like. This is. This has been one of the crowning achievements, I think, of of heroes uh, so far with their Overwatch heroes that they've added are that they so beautifully reflect their first person shooter counterparts. Mm. And that's the fourth one uh, at this point, right? We have Zarya, Lucio, Tracer and now Genji. So we can almost have a full team of Overwatch heroes. That is correct. We're, we're getting there. We're getting there. I still want Reinhardt, man. I want Reinhardt so bad. Um, <laughs> But but yeah, Hanamura is I, I I really don't have I don't have an opinion in the realm of success or failure. I don't know. It is very it's a very weird battleground. Um, and you know when we were playing it at the summit, like it seemed like in this room of of uh, just a bunch of tryhards that a meta erupted almost instantly. <laughs> um, which but um, it's it's interesting. I I, I want to see it shake out because the last time last the last battleground that was like this where you couldn't directly attack the core which was towers of doom i hated originally i thought it was so bizarre and i didn't like it at all and now it's one of my favorite battlegrounds and i'm i'm very i'm very lukewarm on hanamura right now it's so nuts the boss in the middle is just a horrible death trap i it feels like you should just <laughs> never attack it ever <laughs> you should just stay away from it so i'm i don't know it needs to shake out i i'm i'm going to give hanamura time um, but it's, it's definitely interesting. It is very different. Uh, the on use abilities that the mercenaries give you can have a drastic effect on a team fight. Mm, yeah. I guess that's one of the key differences with the other maps with those tokens you get, it can completely change the way you, you're going to approach a, a team fight, which is of course, um, the core of the gameplay of the game. Yeah, um, specifically the heal. The heal right, is one, is yeah. huge. It, you can it, it makes me wonder if you could just build a mer- a murking composition and almost go without a support because it's such a strong heal. All right. Uh let's move on. I love heroes, but we are not done with Blizzard stuff yet. Um I guess we can mention very quickly that StarCraft is free now. Uh StarCraft and Brood War, the original, because the remaster is coming this summer. Um that's kind of old news now, so I'm just mentioning it in in passing very quickly, but that's uh, an interesting piece of news for Well, I guess you did a, a show about StarCraft Forever, so you must have some opinion on this. Uh I can't wait. Uh, that will do. <laughs> do, do, <laughs> yes. do you think it will do anything for the StarCraft scene other than just give something to do for the nostalgia-ridden people that loved StarCraft, you know, 15 years ago? I, I personally don't think it's going to do anything for, like, the esports scene or anything, but I'm... I think it will. Pro. I think we're really? going to at least... Wait, at you least think not people are going to start playing StarCraft again? People haven't stopped playing Brood War. It's still played professionally in South Korea. Really? Yes. Yes. It's still going. It's still considered. Like there's a league and everything? I thought they had stopped. No. No, they have not. No, it's still going. Um, All right. Brood War is still considered, you know, one of the greatest <laughs> esports ever. Um, I, 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 at least out the gate. I, the staying power is, is, is the question. I, out the gate, 
I'm telling you right now, I'm calling it. There are going to be a, a ton of Brood War tournaments. Okay, that, that can be fun. Um, all right, and the last thing, the last Blizzard thing, um, is the Necromancer beta for Diablo 3, which, yes, that game is still a thing, if you forgot. Um, and I was... So the beta has started a couple of weeks ago. I was fortunate enough to be invited uh, to the beta, and I'm incredibly sorry because I told someone on Twitter it was open for everyone. I didn't realize I was invited. It was just there in my launcher. And I told him, yeah, I think everyone can access it. And he rushed home and he was like super disappointed that he couldn't get into it. And I felt incredibly, incredibly uh, bad about it. So I'm very sorry. Um, I haven't actually checked. I don't think I'm, I have access to it either. Oh, you don't? The little, the little drop down where I pick my region. Yep, exactly. Yep, not there. All right. Well, okay. then I'm sorry for you too, because the Necromancer is, you know, so I spent a lot of time in Diablo 3. I think I have like, I don't know, 350 hours in the game at this point. It came out, you know, five years ago. So, but still. Um, and, but I hadn't played in, I don't know, two years, something like that. And I figured, you know, I'm going to launch the thing. I'm going to check out the, the um, Necromancer. I played it a little bit at uh, BlizzCon and didn't really, it wasn't my thing. It wasn't, you know, the right setting, whatever. Uh, so I thought I'm going to play for 10 minutes. Uh, of course, I played for hours and I am loving the Necromancer. Oh, other piece of information i didn't play diablo 2 i completely uh didn't get into either diablo 1 or 2 so the necromancer means nothing to me emotionally um but he is incredibly fun to play it's like those exploding corpses and the you know zombies that you're controlling and like all of this works super well in the context of diablo which is as always uh you know different finding different ways of killing hundreds and hundreds of enemies in mindless fun. And one of the reasons I wanted to mention this is that I enjoyed it so much that I fired up old Diablo 3, like the actual game, not the beta, and uh, ended up playing for, I don't know, 10, 20 hours when I have all of those games to play, you know, the like Persona and well, I did finish Zelda, but like there's, uh, I should get Horizon Zero Dawn. I should, there are, as we know, tons and tons of games. I still got grabbed by Diablo and went and uh, created a barbarian in the season 10 as a seasonal character. And he's now all the way to 70 with his six piece set. And I don't know, 50, a hundred Paragon points. And I'm enjoying the hell out of it. And those updates that I had missed with the can ice cube, which I didn't understand when I got it like a few months ago uh, and a bunch of other updates are making this game again fun i'm not going to say fresh because it's still the same old thing but i'm rediscover it seems that this game is making me rediscover its fun every few months and i spend like more time in that game every few months than i spend in most other games it's incredible and i'm having a blast so i didn't want to mention it and it doesn't you know mean that you should go play it but Darn if it's not one of the most fun games I've ever played. So there you go, Diablo 3. And the again, the Necromancer is really, really fun too. So there you go. 
Diablo three is not your jam? Oh, I I like Diablo three quite a bit. I um I mean we 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 did a podcast together uh, after BlizzCon last year, and I I was definitely let down by the uh, announcements because uh, it seemed like they were they were hinting at something bigger than uh, a I would say half-assed uh, Diablo one uh, tribute. Yeah. And um, and a new hero I'll have to pay for. That being said, damn it, Diablo three is a really good game, and it has been long enough now for me since I've really dove in. Because I dove in right when the Knives Cube was added, and that was such an insane update. It was so awesome. Right. It added so much to the game, um, and uh, it, it burnt myself out shortly after. You know, kind of really tricking out my my wizard that I started for the season that came with the Knives Cube update, and I haven't really played since. Um, so now. It has been long enough that I am definitely ready to get back in, and I am I'm uh, officially stoked for the Necromancer. Right. I think yeah. I think the Necromancer is going to be the time to get back in. There's going to be the challenge rifts and a bunch of stuff. But uh, I, as I said, I quit before Can Ice Cube, and I didn't even understand what it was and what it was for. And now that I do, uh, that aspect of it is really fun. Um, and then the the. I completely agree with you from a communication standpoint. The update for, I mean, the 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 Diablo three celebration of Diablo one's anniversary, the twenty year anniversary, that recreation of Diablo one and Diablo three, kind of did a disservice, I think, to uh, the announcements uh, in you know for the game at BlizzCon. Oh, I mean, in the case of BlizzCon, it was the final announcement during the opening ceremonies, and I just walked away from, like, that was it? Really? That's all you have? And the thing is, if you're into the game, or if you've been into the game at some point, there were a lot of other things that are super fun, and that are really, you know, I I went back and watched the um, developer panel from BlizzCon, like, actually today, and there's a lot of stuff they're talking about, which are smallish things i understand why they don't you know they're not going to go and say well you don't need to uh, store your crafting mats in your inventory now that's not you know uh, uh introduction panel announcement but lots of small things that make this game really uh you know enjoyable again more than it was even six months ago and that's unexpected you know I, yeah I, yeah it- and despite how, for whatever reason, uh, offended I was by <laughs> by the Diablo <laughs> One stuff, um, it doesn't take away from the success of Diablo Three in my book. I mean, it it had such a rocky start. They learned so many lessons. But it's a very similar story to to Destiny's, in my opinion. Mm. Um, and then they they managed to mold this and shape it into one of my favorite games to return to. I yeah. I can't think of a of a game in the last decade that I've you know, other than like, you know, World of Warcraft or something and other Blizzard games that I just play on a daily basis that I've returned to as often and have found and have found new ways to have fun as much as Diablo 3. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, for the love of Sanctuary, I'm like, this barbarian that I'm playing now is started from zero and I went to 70 and I'm not like a crazy, uh, you know, speedrunner. It took me hours to get to 70 and build up the kit and, and do the, the, this insane furious charge build that I'm having a lot of fun with. And it's like, I would never have guessed that I would return to you. And you know, it's probably going to last a few days a week, maybe two, and then I'm going to move on to something else. But the capacity that that game has to grab you back in and and give you the kind of immediate popcorn uh, uh easy fun that you get and that you want sometimes is 
pretty incredible as an achievement of game design so yeah yeah the, the diablo 3 team while uh, i will i will sit here and if you ever ask me i will tell you i think the diablo 1 celebration was the biggest failing in the history of your game <laughs> overall your game is amazing and you should all be very yeah. proud yeah agreed all right well that was it for the lengthy blizzard corner uh, a few very quick tidbits uh to round off the show uh nintendo's switch has been sold uh, quite well. Basically, they sold 2.4 million copy, uh, million uh, units uh, as of a couple of weeks ago, which makes it a pretty incredible success in Nintendo's book. Of course, it's not the fastest selling console in the history of consoles, uh, but it is the fastest selling Nintendo console. And um, it it's also not a console that came out during the holiday season so that's significant it's not to say that it's going to keep selling as well but they do have a fairly solid uh for nintendo a fairly solid uh, uh lineup uh, in the coming months uh there's been a bunch of announcement and it's mostly you know one game a month <laughs> mostly but it's still you know enough that it's going to keep leaning on the successful launch to get into the holiday season with a decent number of uh, console sales and most analysts are looking at their uh, predictions and for for number of console sales and raising them a little bit given the early success of the machine so that's good for nintendo um call of duty is probably going to be turned into a mobile game by king that's going to be interesting to see how they do that because there are a number of first person shooters on mobile but is it going to be interesting patrick is it (laughs) well interesting good or interesting bad i'm not sure yet but uh maybe interesting okay (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. That basically color means smugly skeptical. Uh, Near Automata sold a million units, and uh, that is a lot of units for that game, which came out of a Near game, which was completely unknown beyond a very active, rabid uh, cult fan base. Basically, I'm still not sure about that game. I've seen a lot of reviews and a lot of explanations why the game is good. Uh, but I guess it's the kind of game you need to play, you know, through three times to see the brilliance of, and the demo didn't sell me on it. So, and I understand the hypocrisy of this after having said that, you know, I played Persona, which is basically a visual novel and Diablo for the 15th millionth time. Um, All I know about Nier Automata is that I get to beat the crap out of Square Enix's CEO. And that's kind of (laughs) cool. Really? Near, yeah, it, it, yeah, and near, near Automata has uh, ju- uh, just released DLC that adds Square Enix's <laughs> CEO as a fight. <laughs> nice, that's that's kind of funny, actually. Yeah. Um, Rocket League has sold a million copies as well, and that is significant because Rocket League is an actual indie game, um, and there is a big question of whether or not the indie games can be sold in uh, in. Oh, when I say in copies, I mean like boxed copies retail. Uh, and so that is a big question. Can uh, indiv- uh, indie games be sold in retail? I guess Rocket League is kind of on that on that frontier between indie and and not indie because it it's been so successful. But hey, that's what happens. And if you have a super successful indie game, there's no reason why you can't go retail. Rocket League is the first indie game I think I've ever heard any of my casual gaming friends like like my cousins and and family members who just kind of you know play madden and call of duty is the first game i've heard them ever talk about 
Yeah, it's kind of a weird success. It's a perfect storm for Rocket League. It's like it, the, the the formula, the gameplay, the the theme. It's kind of you know, it's yes, it's indie, but it's not obscure in the sense of the, you know when you think of indie movies where which are in a weird language and a strange, depressing story. This is like an yeah. actual video game of fun. Yeah, I don't have to sell. I, I don't have to sell my Rocket League to my friends in the same way I have to sell Dear Esther. To yeah, my exactly. friends. It's, it's, there's a big difference. Rocket League's core gaming concept is instantly understandable by yeah. anyone who looks at it for five seconds. Uh, Mass Effect has had a DLC that improves its eyes, basically. And we've talked about <laughs> the uh, you know animation issues at length. But honestly, if you haven't seen the before-after screenshots, go check them out. Because it's quite incredible how much of a difference such a small change makes and i think it's it's the uh uncanny valley area where it, you know there's definitely some of that where you just change it's it's really nothing it's the 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 way the eyelids close a little bit more and the pupils are a little bit more dilated and you know these kinds of changes actually make the uh the 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 visuals that were so decried not ridiculous anymore. Now, there are still other issues with animation and, you know, a bunch of stuff, but that small change makes it really work. So that was kind of unexpected, I think. I thought the, the, the issues with, uh, with the models were much, much deeper and more difficult to fix than changing a couple of things in the, in the eyes. Um, what else? What else? Uh, the GameCube emulator, uh, Dolphin runs perfectly on a Galaxy S8. So if you want to use your S8 to play your GameCube games, well, there you go. You can do that. If uh, someone can out there can tell me if there, if I can control the Rogue Squadron games, uh, well, uh, I, that m- might be enough to make me get one of these phones. <laughs> well, you know, it's, they, they have a, um, a deck, uh, for the phone that allows you to plug in a monitor and a keyboard and a, a mouse. I'm guessing but you I can, can probably keep plug in like an adapter, a USB adapter for a controller. I could just do that on my computer if I'm going to do it that way, Patrick. Well, if you're being reasonable, <laughs> fine. <laughs> but you can take it with you anywhere. Yes, eight. All right. Never mind. Uh, well, I guess, okay, last bit of news just to give you the enormity of Tencent, which we don't really think about all that much. Uh, Tencent is the Chinese game company that owns basically, well, the world of games in China, but that's a huge world. They own, um, they're basically the operators for a bunch of games and they own uh, League of Legends. They own the equivalent in uh, mobile, which is called Honor of Kings. And it's very similar to League of Legends. It's basically the one MOBA on, well, maybe one of two or three uh, MOBAs that work on mobile, but this one works really well. And uh, they have, uh, what was it? They have had a record year in 2016 16 and their revenue increased by 25% to about 10 billion US dollars. So it is, you know, the biggest wow. game <laughs> game um publisher in the world and it's a uh, pretty amazing. You know, it's not something we see all that much in the West, but the Asian and specifically Chinese market is dwarfing everyone. 
So, um, yeah, just wanted to mention it here. And that is going to be it for the show. Thank you very much, Garrett, for being on. Uh, would you please tell people where they can find you when you are out and about, not in Star Trek? No. Oh, my God. Oh, get say? out, Patrick. Get out. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to take the uh, English language card and, and put it out here and say it's not my native language. So when I speak for two hours <laughs> nonstop, I make these kinds of unforgivable, stupid, <laughs> dumb mistakes that I will work uh, for days and weeks to make up for. So when you're not at Star Wars conventions, what, where can people find you, Garrett? No, uh, uh, every podcast I do can be found at the website Amove TV. That is A M O V E dot TV. Uh, other than that, I'm on Twitter at Garrett Art. And if I can throw a couple specific shows out there, if you're into Hearthstone right now, check out The Angry Chicken. If you're into Heroes, check out Into the Nexus. Excellent. Thank you very much for being on. I'm not Patrick on Twitter and on Facebook, and you can find this show at frenchspin.com along with the Phileas Club, which is a show where we talk with people from different countries in the world about world events, and we do so with people who disagree with us while staying cordial and uh, having nice, fun conversations. Yes, it is possible. Go check it out at frenchspin.com. Thank you very much for listening, and we will be back in about a couple of weeks with another show. Talk to you then. Bye. See you.